so one thing that I learned from my diagnosis experience was that you are the only person that knows what it's like to be in your body and you are the only person that can stand up for what you think is going wrong. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? At 20 years old, I was in college having the time of my life. Shout out to SUNY Potsdam. Woohoo! I was living uh, in the moment, making mistakes, learning from them, all that normal 20-year-old stuff. So picture this, 20-year-old exploring, trying to find herself and discover who she is. And surprise, you have MS. So I'm not sure how I would react, but my guest today is using her diagnosis for good. Let's chat it up with Sophie. Hi, Soph. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. And our listeners can hear that you are not in the States. Where are you? I'm in Sydney, Australia. Yeah. So a little bit of a different accent this morning. Yes, but it's lovely. And when I get off the call with you, I'll probably be trying to mimic your accent <laughs> for the rest of the night. I tend to do that. So Sophie, talk to us. You're 21 now, so it's only been a very short time since your diagnosis. Can you run us through what, what that was like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I've, I was diagnosed just over a year ago now, which is crazy that it's only been a year because it feels like a lot has changed in that last year but yeah I was 20 I basically we were in lockdown it was during COVID last year and I had really just taken up running and so I was running like three times a week during lockdown I really wanted to get fit I wanted to get healthy I was working online I was doing university full-time online and I went for a run one day and I came home and I had some tingling in my feet and I know that this is how so many MS diagnosis stories start because it's such a classic symptom so I was a little bit confused by this I kind of you know I was like, oh, it's probably just to do with my running. Probably nothing. Probably just like my shoes are a little bit bad, whatever. So I kind of put it to the back of my mind. And then that night I was in the shower and I could feel that the water falling on like my legs felt a little bit different. I was like, oh, that's really usual. That's really just a really strange feeling. So I called my GP and made an appointment to see her and I went in and she did a few tests and she was like, look, I'll send you for an x-ray. She thought that maybe I had like something in my back that had like got come out of place when I was running. And she just said, look, it's probably to do with your running. The next day it got worse, spread up my legs. So by this point I had tingling and numbness in both the front of my legs and the backs of my legs up to about my knees. 
I went back to the GP the next day and she was like, okay, we'll do some blood tests, but I think you should go to a podiatrist. I think this is to do with your running. And I just like felt in my gut that it had nothing to do with my running, but MS is really hard to diagnose. And I clinically presented fine. So she did a few tests on me and she said, look, you're fine. And the numbness wasn't complete numbness. So she was testing to see if I could feel pinpricks and I could and she just sent me on my way so two days later I went to the podiatrist and he said it's nothing neurological I think it's to do with your running and by this point it was pretty much up to my waist my tingling and numbness it was up to my waist and I I have pretty extreme health anxiety and so I was like googling these symptoms and I was just like there's nothing that can explain it like it's MS it's the only thing that can explain it. Everyone in my life told me that I was crazy. They were like, you are so healthy. You're so young. You like, you know, you have none of the other symptoms. Like you can still walk. And yeah, I, that's kind of where I really started to worry. That was the point where I really said, no, there is something wrong. And so I actually went away with my boyfriend that weekend. And I was away about an hour out of Sydney, a bit more rural. We were away for my birthday. And on the Friday, I started going numb in my hands. And it was to the point where up to my waist, I was tingling and numb and my hands and arms were now going numb as well. So I called my GP office and my GP wasn't in that day and I spoke to a lovely GP that said look if you can find a neurologist that will take you next week I will send you a referral so I spent my morning of my holiday calling all the neurologists in Sydney and I found an amazing neurologist who could see me the following Tuesday so I spent that weekend basically getting worse I experienced a few very strange symptoms. I had, you know, the MS hug. If you've experienced that, you know how weird that is. And I think with a lot of those sensory like symptoms, it's very hard to explain to people how you feel. And it's such a pervasive feeling because you really can't escape it. You can't put it to the back of your mind because every single movement you have is affected by these symptoms. So I spent that weekend just being so worried. My poor boyfriend, I was crying every, every like hour because I was just facing this really horrible diagnosis and I really you know I was doing so much research about MS basically by the time I got diagnosed I knew everything you could know about MS. He did a lot of clinical tests on me and he said look I don't think you have MS you you are fine he did the balancing tests on me he did the you know all the clinical tests you can do and he said I really think you are okay. We will send you in for an MRI because I want to check, but you know, you, you are like almost a hundred percent clinically normal. There was one test that I was just off the normal range for. And so, you know, I, I left that appointment hopeful, but I also knew that something was still very wrong. So, you know, the next two days passed and I'm still having these feelings. And I just, I say to my mom, I said, I need to get this MRI and getting an MRI is quite difficult, especially to get one that's subsidized by our like healthcare system here. And my neurologist wanted me to go to one of the best radiologist places in Sydney. And so they, they said, okay, it'll be a month. 
before you can have an MRI. And I, I knew I would not be able to stop worrying until I had that MRI. So I went and got that MRI. They had a, I called another place. They had an opening the next day. I jumped to do that and it was a horrible experience. It was awful. I'd never had an MRI before. I went by myself. It took almost an hour and a half. I had no like sedatives to help me. It was truly very, very confronting. And I still hate MRIs because of that experience. But that was a Thursday. And by the next Tuesday, I had my MS diagnosis. So really, it was only because I pushed to have that MRI done that, you know, they could diagnose me. And my neurologist took one look at it. And he said, yeah, you've got MS. That's very clear cut from your from the image imaging they did of my brain they could see exactly what was going on but yeah it was it was interesting because clinically I was fine it was really all the invisible symptoms after that I did experience some optic neuritis in my left eye I did have Lamette's sign which if anyone's experienced that is the weirdest feeling ever it's when you put your chin down to your um, chest you get this like electric shock feeling it's a classic sign of MS but so my neurologist was like pretty amazing after that, put me straight on steroids, like I think two days after my diagnosis. And then I started DMTs the next week. So really compared to some people, it was quite a quick diagnosis, but it was only because I pushed to have that, you know, all those appointments and all those follow-ups that I was able to get that diagnosis so quickly. One thing that I really learned from my diagnosis experience was that you you are the only person that knows what it's like to be in your body and you are the only person that can stand up for what you think is going wrong. I obviously benefited from my health anxiety in this circumstance, but it really has taught me that like doctors can only do so much and especially with an invisible illness like MS, you have to be able to outline exactly how you're feeling and exactly what you want. And I think that, you know, especially as young women, it's so easy to just take what a doctor says and just like accept it, you know, accept that nothing's wrong. And especially with something like relapsing, remitting MS, symptoms could have gone away. I could have recovered completely. And then, you know, it could have been an even bigger uh, that led to me getting diagnosed. I'm just really passionate about standing up for your own health and being able to say to the doctors, no, like, I really want this. I really need this. Even if they had found nothing on my MRI, I have relieved my anxiety and it would have meant that, like, I could have found out what was wrong. I think having the diagnosis, as soon as I got my diagnosis, that was kind of like, oh, thank God, like, I know what's wrong. I know what I can do now. Like, there's steps that I can take. Situation before, when I was, you know, having that relapse and I couldn't, like, I couldn't name what was going on, that was the hardest part of my diagnosis. It's really brave of you to to stand up for yourself. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And I think that more people need to adopt that thinking because we cannot just go and say, oh, it's okay, whatever they said. But you also said that your diagnosis was a wake-up call. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So, I mean, like a lot of people in their 20s was just living my life to the fullest. I was traveling prior to COVID. 
was going out drinking. I was eating all sorts of like yummy, delicious foods. I, you know, it was prioritizing living my life over my health realistically. And I think that's fine. Getting diagnosed with MS is such a big wake up call in your life. You, you get someone telling you, no, you actually need to look after yourself. So, you know, I've really realized a few things, which is that rest is so important. I am very bad at kind of stopping and, you know, letting myself rest. And the relapse that led to my diagnosis was at a time of extreme stress and realistically stress about things that don't need to be stressed about, like my grades at university or whatever, you know, all things that my health is much more important than that. I've just really in the last year spent time prioritizing what is most important to me and prioritizing my health and figuring out you know that that I want to do what is it that I want to spend my energy on because energy is so precious and yeah also just working on eating healthier and making sure I'm exercising and managing fatigue in a different way and you know trying not to get sick I used to just not care if I got like the flu every year now I'm so much more protective of my health if you sense (laughs) yes I used to be a smoker I partied all night I was known for sleeping an hour or a half an hour and then being able to rally so all-nighters for college for sure for sure so very unhealthy lifestyle and then my friend a friend of mine she would sleep so much I'm talking like 12 hours a night and I'm like what are you doing you're missing life (laughs) but really that is so important so I love what you say about prioritizing those things about you and being selfish right it's important to be selfish sometimes especially um, when you're dealing with multiple sclerosis And I love that you were talking about not sweating little things that used to be issues to you that don't make those big, right? It's just not worth it. Yeah. And I I always have to tell myself when I feel like I'm getting stressed out about small things, I consciously tell myself, this isn't good for you. Like, this isn't good for you. Could you, like, are making your own body work harder than it needs to and that is one of the biggest triggers for a relapse consciously just tell myself you need to stop stressing right now and surprisingly it works quite and I just think about how you know I'm 44 yep I just said it so (laughs) in 23 years you're gonna continue to live this healthy lifestyle you're recognizing these things being on the DMT and taking that action for yourself so also I know about you that community is very important can you tell us a little bit more about that so when I was going through my diagnosis it was the most isolating part of my entire life it's been the most isolating part of my entire MS journey I think when you're going through such intense health issues and you don't have a name for it it's so hard to communicate with the people in your life how you're feeling so I just felt like I couldn't tell my friends like this is what's going on it might be this because I didn't have a name for it and you know it's when you suffer from anxiety and specifically health anxiety, it's so hard to explain to people that don't have anxiety how you're feeling. So, you know, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't 
you know, I was still doing things and like I was still living my life, but I just felt paralyzed by this what if basically. And I found myself just searching for, um, on the internet and I found myself searching for people that I could talk to. And one thing with MS is that it's so misunderstood in the broader communities. My family didn't know anything about it. I don't have any, any family history of MS. None of my friends really knew much about it. They never, you know, they never knew that, you know, it was mostly young women who were diagnosed. You know, there are so many things that people don't know. And I found myself searching for young women. I wanted to see someone like myself. I wanted to see someone who was living their life and also had MS. Like, I just wanted to find, like, a YouTuber or an Instagram influencer who, like, had MS because that would have been so comforting to me. And when I was diagnosed, I knew that I wanted to find a community. I wanted to create a community specifically for, you know, younger people with MS who are going through the ups and downs of like your 20s and also living with a chronic illness because it's such a weird experience. It's such a strange time of life to be navigating with a chronic and yeah, it was just something I was really looking for. And so I created my Instagram page about six months after I was diagnosed and have found such an amazing community. I've actually met like good friends on Instagram and, you know, people that I can really talk to about my worries in a way that, you know, my friends and family who are incredible and amazing can't understand. Like they, they don't understand what it's like to have five days of steroids, all those strange things that come along with MS and, you know, talking about the tingling sensation. It's such a unique thing to people that have experienced that. And it's so nice to have people that you can talk to and lean on when things are going badly, but also when things are just really normal and, you know, you can celebrate those little wins. When I uh, was first diagnosed, I pretty much ignored it and pretended that I could just go on and live my life. I was introduced to a couple people, one of whom I, I knew from a while back, but I didn't know she had MS. And it was through those two people that I really found security. And like you said, the comfort, because, you know, I, I'm telling people and they want to say, you know, I know what you're going through. I get that tingling in my leg. And I'm like, yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> it's not, it's just not the same. So Melissa and Morgan uh, were there for me. They answered questions and I really leaned on them for that support. And just over time, I got more comfortable talking about it. And I started to reach out just as you did. And it really makes all the difference. So I love that you've made some real serious connections with people that maybe are from afar. Yes. Yeah. And I think the COVID kind of helped with that a little bit too, right? Yeah, people all over the world. And I think, you know, especially in places where MS is more prevalent than it is here in Australia, you can really lean on those communities that have a lot more foundations and they have a lot more support and you can really find people. But I have also found, I met someone on Instagram that goes to the same neurology clinic as me and we're really good friends, which is so random. Like, how would you know? Yeah, that's a blessing. Oh my gosh. So random for sure. When you were diagnosed, COVID was going on, right? Yeah. So it was actually really good timing. When I had my relapse, it was just as we were leaving restrictions in Sydney. So okay. thankfully, 
my mum was able to come with me to all of my like doctor's appointments and all my first infusions and all of those things because if I had had to do that alone it would have been a nightmare. I was so lucky I had my beautiful friends and family come with me to hospital and then now we are in lockdown again. So my last infusion that I had just a few weeks ago was the first infusion I've had where I couldn't have anyone in the hospital with me. So I have been pretty lucky overall but yeah it has been very strange to navigate a pandemic and a chronic illness diagnosis at the same time. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, unprecedented, right? You know, even though you're in lockdown and all of that, they don't allow people to come into the hospital with you. And it can be very lonely and scary. So when you go to get your infusions, you have to go to the hospital? I've been on two DMTs in the last year. So my first one was Kai Starbury and my neurologist put me on that the week after I was diagnosed because he is quite um, a strong believer in putting people on DMTs very quickly to stop the progression as soon as possible. So I'm incredibly grateful to him that um, he made that decision and we talked about it and Kai Sabri is an infusion once a month and Kai Sabri is one of the most effective DMTs without having a lot of side effects. I went on that straight away. It was okay. I personally didn't like going into the hospital every month. It made me feel sick, even though I actually felt fine. And I didn't like the feeling of just being tethered to a hospital. So I came off Tysabri also because there is a risk of another illness if you have a certain antibody in your blood. So I came off Tysabri, um after six months and went on to Ocrevus, which is what I'm on now, which is an infusion once every six months. And honestly, I love it. It's so easy for me. I've had two full, yeah, I've had two doses of it now. So I've had it for two doses and I've had no progression. It's kept me really stable. I do have a few like reactions when I have it. You can have like allergic reactions to it and you do have to have steroids when you have your Ocrevus infusion, but it makes me feel pretty flat for about a week afterwards. But a week out of every six months is totally fine for me. And when I do go to the hospital, I give myself full permission to just sick and like let myself just mope around for a day and watch Netflix all day and chill out and eat snacks and just have a nice day and that mindset of like put it having it as like oh this is just my day this is my day completely chill out I don't have to do anything I just get to like hang around and eat chocolate and I don't know just watch tv has really helped that you know feeling of oh I have to go to the hospital but yeah it's it's not too bad it is what it is and you know it does helping me live a more normal life and making sure that I don't progress any further than I already have. So, you know, we will accept it for what it is and just keep taking it. Well, I'm glad that it's working for you and helping you. What is your most proud accomplishment? I think there's two main things that I'm super proud of. The first is my ability 
to just continue living my life. In the last year, I've continued doing full-time university because that's really important to me. I'm in my last semester now, which is so exciting. I study management and a diploma of Spanish. And then I also work in social impact and I love my job. It's exactly where I want to be. And I've managed to balance both of those things along with my MS. And that's something that I am super passionate about and I want to continue doing. And it makes me so happy. You know, I'm so proud of myself that I've been able to do that. Uh, You know, like I've just kept living. I've kept doing the things I love doing. And that makes me just happy. And I want to be an example to others that you can do that. And then the other thing is my Instagram. It's a small community, but I love everyone I've met on there. I love the community I've created. And yeah, I love that I'm spreading awareness to a small group of people about MS and chronic illness as a whole. I'm sure you're helping a lot of people, things you don't even know. I do have a question though. What is social impact work? So I work for an organization that's actually based in the state called Purpose and work on campaigns for non-for-profits and corporate kind of want to improve the world. Like we're trying to make the world a better place. So we work on all sorts of different topics. So things across climate change and, but yeah, I love it. And it's always what I've wanted to. So you're just a disgustingly amazing person is what you're saying. Oh, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) I think, I think you're pretty great for sure. I do. So when you talk about community and sharing what's going on with you and reading what other people are doing, that really helps me to know I'm either on the right track or if I'm getting off track, I can go to this person and say, I need your help. And they, like you said before, they know what you're going through. They're not going to judge you. There's no shame because not, maybe not the same boat because everybody has MS. It manifests differently for everybody, but they know. And when you said earlier, the MS hug, when I first got it, I had no idea how to describe it because it is the weirdest thing. It's so weird. It is. And I came to say, like, it's like there's a boa constrictor wrapping itself around you and just pulling tighter and tighter, but not tight enough that it's going to squeeze you to death. Just tight enough to be super annoying and uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It's so strange. I remember telling my mom, I was like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like there's pressure on my stomach and it's like, squeezing but it doesn't like mine never hurt it just was annoying and just the strangest feeling and she was like that is so strange like what are you talking about but yeah it's so nice to be able to say oh I have had the MS hug and people like oh that is so annoying so it's just a nice (laughs) sense of community in that way as well (laughs) Yeah. And then you can just laugh about it and go, I know, and then move on. Right. Cause they're not going to say, they're not going to start asking you questions. Like people are trying to be awesome and nice, right? They, they want to, you know, seem like it's empathetic and all of that, but it really just comes off as sympathy. Yeah. And I don't want people, people to feel bad for me because like you, um, well you like the mantra of this show, are thriving. Hence why you're here today. And I wanted to ask you too, because I know you live in Sydney. What's your favorite thing to do there? Just in case I go to Australia. Well, you should definitely come here. I have actually only lived in Sydney for the last five years. Before that, I was overseas. And so I've kind of rediscovered the city as like a teenager and now in my early 20s. 
What's my favourite thing to do? I live really close to the bush, so I like to go on bushwalks. But, you know, it's just the weather in Sydney is the most beautiful thing ever. Just gorgeous. And so it's such a nice city to just walk around in, go to the beach, have a coffee. The coffee here is the best in the world. Ooh, Um, I think some people would want to challenge (laughs) you on that, although I'm not really a coffee drinker, but... It's fighting words, you said. Oh, we we have a good coffee culture here. We also, yeah, I don't know if you if you like the bar scene. There's some great bars. The food's great. Oh, I don't know. I just love the city. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful place to live. I'm very lucky to live here. Yeah. I honestly think, Sophie, anywhere you lived, you'd make the most of it. I don't know, but I do love it here. It's beautiful. What is your favorite place on earth? Like favorite, favorite? Is it Sydney? Um, no, I don't think it's Sydney. I've traveled a lot. I I lived in Bangkok for five years of my life. So I feel very drawn back to Bangkok. It is my second home. My dad still lives there. So if it wasn't for COVID, I would be there. So that's, that's definitely a favorite place. Holds a very special spot in my heart. But my most favorite place I've visited is Bhutan. That is an awesome place. It's kind of next to Nepal. It's a tiny, tiny country and it's so beautiful. And I am so grateful that I got to visit there while I lived in Bangkok. Very amazing place to go. How do you work to inspire others to make the most out of their lives? Such a good question. I love just like looking at the little things in life and and look for the good things in every single day. And I think, you know, acknowledging that some days are really tough and some days are awful. And especially when you have a chronic illness, there can be things that are really rough. But, you know, kind of being able to acknowledge that and just continue living your life and being able to see the good in every day, whether that good is just, I don't know, smelling the fresh air or talking to a friend on the phone. So from seeing the good to prioritizing what's important and not sweating the small stuff and giving yourself permission. Those are key things that we all need to consider just as normal day-to-day things as we live our lives. Sophie, I really appreciate you being here today. How do people find you? Where? What's your Instagram? My Instagram handle is at Drum. At MS Sof Drum. Sophie, thank you so much for being here. And I, I guess the next time I'll see you is in Sydney. Oh, I am so excited. Unless I'm in the States first. We'll see who who travels first. <laughs> All right, you you're so totally open door. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, keep thriving. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving Podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving Podcast. Keep thriving. Keep thriving.